Happy holidays. Hello and welcome to the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli, and we have a special holiday edition of the Northern Miner Podcast, making mining cool for the next generation. I guess they gave up on this generation. <laughs> All kidding aside, it's a interesting discussion. I don't think we've gotten to the end of that discussion. Like this is a topic that as long as I've been in this industry, which is when I started at the Northern Miner in 2012, this has been an ongoing theme. The, you know, for lack of better words, what we might call the sexiness problem. And, you know, from my perspective, this industry has made huge strides, actually, and in a lot of ways, because I think it is a targeted industry in the same way that oil and gas is, I actually think some of these corporations, not all of them, but I think some of them are some of the best members of our global business community. And I know that might come out as a bit of a shocking thing to say, and that's purely based on me reading the news. I mean, I'm not in these meetings. I'm not behind closed doors. But that is my perception. I feel the values of this industry as a whole, I'm happy to say, they're not the cliche corporate radar values of the 1980s anymore. I think the ESG narrative, which is going on three or four years now, is actually having an impact. And I think the mindset of a new mining executive now has to be focused as much on the environment and the community that that mine is a part of then the project itself and the economics. And there's no question that is a paradigm shift for this industry, and it's probably happened within the last 10 years. It's probably always been around, but I think the issue has been forced in the last two or three years. I mean, we see what happened with Rio Tinto. So it's not perfect. You know, I think the fundamentals, the hardest part, is actually changing the values and all things flow from that center. And I don't get the sense that the industry as a whole has the, you know, profit over values mentality that maybe it did in the 80s and 90s, like so many other corporations seem to have. And partly just a result of the pressure of market forces to be profitable. Sometimes these are systemic problems and not necessarily just, you know, and these CEOs just find themselves, well, either we have to be profitable or we have to, you know, create some hurt for a community. And I guess to take that example, in the 80s and maybe the 90s, they might have just said, forget the community, get the profits. And I think now, I don't think people are as quick to make that calculation. If anything, the calculation is on the other side. And frankly, it's just pure pragmatism at this point, because as we see from all of these protests and, you know, social media and just the internet in general, it's just out of self-interest that you have to care out for the environment and that social community now, if not enlightened perspective. So my long-winded way of saying we have a very interesting special panel for you, and it features Rob McEwen, chairman and chief owner of McEwen Mining, Aaron Bobicki. Associate Professor of the University of Alberta and Siri Jenick, Principal and Founder of Bridge. And they were at the Global Mining Symposium put on by the Northern 
minor. Other than that, I hope you're having a happy holidays. I Zoomed with the family, a series of Zoom meetings on Christmas night here in Germany, and it was very nice to see everybody. Everybody's doing well, I'm happy to say. And so I hope you're having a happy holidays. I am reading a little Don Quixote, as my girlfriend corrects me on, not Don Quixote, but Don Quixote, for my Christmas reading. And I can't recommend that enough. It's rare when you get, you know, three or four pages into a book and you think, is this my favorite book? That is a pretty wild thing that's never happened to me. But Cervantes, who I've never read before, he is completely contemporary. When you're reading that book, you feel like it could have been written two weeks ago. Shockingly, I, I still don't believe it. This Cervantes influenced Shakespeare, if you can believe that. Okay, so all news to me. And uh, if you haven't read it, I mean, I'm only a few chapters into this thing, but this is something to read. And one more thing on that, it is one of the easiest books I've ever read. Like, there's no effort, which is shocking. So maybe it's a great translation. Maybe it's all like that. But I can only recommend that. So with that, if you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. And you can also find us on Instagram at The Northern Miner and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts. And wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, Omicron is disrupting Agnico's Nunavut operations, and this is by Alicia Hyatt from the Canadian Mining Journal. A spike in presumptive COVID-19 cases at its operations in Nunavut have prompted Agnico Eagle Mines to send home its Nunavut-based workforce and temporarily ramp down operations for the remainder of the year. In light of the fast-spreading Omicron variant, the company says the precautions are intended to protect its local workforce and communities. The decision was made in collaboration with local health authorities. There have been a total of 13 presumptive COVID-19 cases since December 18th at the gold miners Meliadine, Meadowbank, and Hope Bay operations in Nunavut. The company says its Nunavut-based employees will be sent home immediately, while the remaining workforce will also be reduced gradually. Locally-based workers who were scheduled to return to site will not come back for at least three weeks. All employees will continue to receive their pay. And let's not forget Kirkland Lake. Gold shareholders approved a merger with Agnico Eagle last month, set to be finalized in the first quarter of 2022. And Kirkland Lake CEO Tony McCook will be taking over as CEO, with current Agnico head Sean Boyd becoming executive chair. So thank you, Alicia. Very interesting update in the Canadian mining scene. And another very interesting update, the battle for Noront resources finally seems to be coming to an end. BHP won't match Wailu's latest offer for Noront. This is by Cecilia Jamazmi. And it says here, Noront Resources has chosen to go with the latest bid put forward by Australian billionaire Andrew Forrest Wailu Metals, giving BHP five business days to match the offer. Now, this has been going on all year. The world's largest miner, however, said later in the day that it did not see, quote, adequate long-term value in raising its 75 cents a share bid to match Wailu's. Last week, Wailu sweetened its offer for the shares it doesn't already own in the Canadian Junior to $1.10 a piece, trumping BHP's offer by $0.35. Cents. So Wailu was absolutely determined 
to keep Norant. Wailu's improved offer values Norant at $616 million Canadian and is 57% higher than its prior bid. The company said it would help cover Norant's termination fee to BHP with a loan. Earlier in the month, BHP ended its talks with Wailu as the Melbourne-based miner was unable to win backing from its offer for Forrest Company, already a major shareholder in the Canadian company. So earlier in the month, BHP ended its talks with Wailu. So they were in talks, BHP and Wailu, as the Melbourne-based miner was unable to win backing for its offer from Forrest Company, who is already a major shareholder in Norant Resources. The two Australian miners have been engaged in a tug of war with competing offers for Norant since July. At stake is the takeover target's early stage Eagle Nest nickel and copper deposit in the Ring of Fire in northern Ontario. Wailu has billed the asset as the largest high-grade nickel discovery in Canada since the Voises Bay nickel find in the eastern province of Newfoundland and Labrador. And further, Eagle's Nest is expected to begin commercial production in 2026 with the mine running initially for 11 years. You know, after all of that, still only $616 million Canadian, $477 million U.S. I mean, if that is, in fact, the biggest nickel-copper deposit since Voises Bay, still sounds cheap, doesn't it? So maybe there's more to that than we can tell here. Continuing on, Mindoro partners with Valet to explore for copper in the U.S. So you see a theme here so far in the last two stories, which is this focus on North America. I think people are really seeing value, a premium in North American projects from many different perspectives, but primarily I'd say the political. And it's even easier than probably Europe uh, in terms of just a bit more laissez-faire, shall we say. It's by Namul Karim. Munduro Capital has inked a two-year generative alliance with Valet's Canadian subsidiary to explore for copper projects in Arizona and New Mexico. The two companies also signed an agreement to explore an undisclosed copper property in Arizona. And we have a quote from Tio Dekev, Munduro's CEO, who said in a statement, quote, we are delighted to establish this generative strategy with Valet in search for new copper projects in the Laramie Belt in the southwest USA. The company's generative strategy in the Laramie Belt will be focused on porphyry and related copper systems, similar to our focus for these deposit styles in the western Tithian Belt of Eastern Europe. And Mundoro has also made deals with Freeport McMoran, Valet, First Quantum Minerals, and Jogmec. So a real collaborator in the mining industry, Mondoro Capital, moving on, Rio Tinto to buy lithium project in Argentina for $825 million. It's by Cecilia Jamasmi. Rio Tinto is expanding its lithium ambitions beyond the Jadar project in Serbia by agreeing to buy the Rincon Brine project located in the heart of the lithium triangle in Argentina's Salta province. So Rio Tinto continues to make a move into lithium. The world's second largest miner said the $825 million U.S. acquisition demonstrates its commitment to build its battery materials business and strengthen its portfolio for the global energy transition. I mean, it's probably a win-win. If there's not enough lithium, you can... Make a good profit probably getting a lithium project while also bolstering your ESG credentials. So it's kind of uh, maybe a bit of a no-brainer, but let's see. The deal comes as analysts warn of an imminent and, quote, significant, and quote, supply gap for lithium driven by booming demand for the metal 
used in electric vehicle and green technologies. RINCON is a large undeveloped lithium brine project that will use a direct low-cost extraction technology that has, quote, the potential to significantly increase lithium recoveries, end quote, compared to solar evaporation ponds, according to Rio Tinto, adding that a pilot plant was currently running at the site. So they also have some technology in there. Further, it says, according to Rincon Mining, which has developed the project and technology since 2009, the novel extraction method allows obtaining the battery metal from raw brine in under 24 hours. And finally, the project, Rio Tinto said, has the potential to have one of the lowest carbon footprints in the industry that can help deliver on the company's commitments to decarbonize its portfolio. So there you have it. And continuing on... This is a story we already touched on in the Wall Street Journal a week or two ago. We have another update from Naimul Karim. Three-way merger of Chinese rare earth producers could affect prices, according to analysts. The merger of three rare earth element producers in China, China Min Metals Rare Earth, Chinelco Rare Earth and Metals, and China Southern Rare Earth Group, could affect global prices at a time when demand for REEs is rising due to their use in electric vehicles and other green energy technology. According to some analysts, quote, the merged company will increase the control over prices in the international marketplace and could lead to even higher prices in the coming year, according to Patricia Moore, an independent economist, and she has been at the Global Mining Symposium. And she continues, quote, the merger probably reflects the perceived need to consolidate control over the supply of heavy REEs in view of curtailed mine supplies from Myanmar due to political developments in the Asian country. Power shortages in China may also be increasing the need for operational efficiencies and the processing of rare earth elements in China. And of course, China is thought to control about 85 to 90 percent of the world's rare earth processing. And we have another consultant, CRU Group consultant, Dan DeYoung, and he says, quote, this will mean that the pricing power of key rare earths such as dysprosium and terbium will be in the hands of one supergroup. So this electric vehicle thing continues to put pressure on certain commodities. And final story, global nickel supply could increase by 20% in 2022, according to a new report. And this is by Valentina Ruiz Leotode. Commodity researcher Global Palladium Fund forecasts a global nickel surplus of 59,000 tons in 2022. The analyst expects the surplus to be concentrated in low-grade nickel pig iron, NPI, and to depend heavily on an expected increase in supply from Indonesia materializing. Quote, the impact of COVID-19 halted the launch of significantly expanded NPI production capacity in Indonesia this year resulting in a nickel market deficit likely to be around 150,000 tons for 2021. If this increased capacity can be brought online, it would represent supply growth of 20% year on year. And it also says here that according to Global Palladium Fund, a nickel surplus would be a particularly welcome outcome for stainless steel manufacturers, which rely on the metal for their own production, as well as for electric vehicle battery makers, despite the fact they require high-grade nickel for which the supply outlook is less certain. And we have a quote from Timothy Harvey from Global Palladium Fund, and he says, quote, next year will really be a tale of two nickels. As for high-grade nickel, the situation is looking more finely balanced with less prospect for near-term supply increases and the likelihood of deficit growing as demand for electric vehicle batteries in particular increases. Looking further ahead, the most pronounced imbalance will be for low-carbon nickel as appetite is likely to increase dramatically while supply will necessarily remain constrained. So more ESG pressure 
on commodities. I mean, we see it with oil prices and natural gas prices going through the roof here in Europe. And now this is probably going to happen to nickel, according to Timothy Harvey at Global Palladium Fund. Those are your news stories. Now let's take a look at metal prices. Turning to metal prices, let's just start with the 10-year bond here because we never mentioned it in the intro. It is at 1.46%, the U.S. 10-year, and so that is 0.05%, more like 0.04% higher than last week. Again, not huge movement there. And turning to metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at mining.com slash markets for providing us with these prices each and every week. And on December 28th, Gold is trading at $1,817.91 per ounce. That is $27 higher than last week. So kind of an impressive move by gold in the last week. Silver is trading at $23.23 per ounce. That is $0.83 higher than last week. And platinum is trading at $983.48 per ounce. That is $51 higher than last week. And palladium is trading at $1,984.95 per ounce. That is $214 higher than last week's quote. And turning to our industrial metals, copper is trading three cents higher at $4.35 per pound. Aluminum is trading seven cents higher at $1.29 per pound. Lead is unchanged at $1.05 per pound. Nickel is up 21 cents at $9.21 per pound. Tin is at $18.08 per pound. That is 14 cents higher than last week. Cobalt is unchanged at $31.73 per pound. And zinc is at $1.62 per pound, six cents higher. So very interesting in this holiday market that basically all signs are pointing to inflation here. On a very, we might say, superficial level, the 10-year is higher. All precious metals are higher, and all industrial metals are trending towards the higher end of their range again. Is this going to break out? That is the big question here. I mean, the Fed, again, if your concern is inflation, you can't love these numbers. This cannot you know, set your heart at ease $9.21 for nickel per pound. The only time we had anything close to that was two and a half months ago when it hit $9.31. And then three months ago when it was at $9.24. So, you know, if nickel breaks $10 here, yeah, Fed cannot be happy with what they see here. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have the Making Mining Cool for the Next Generation panel at the Global Mining Symposium. And that was on November 18th, 2021, and it features Rob McEwen, Chairman and Chief Owner of McEwen Mining, Siri C. Jenick, Principal and Founder of Bridge, and Dr. Aaron R. Bobicki, who is Associate Professor at the University of Alberta. The panel is moderated by Mark Borbus, VP of Talent Solutions for Glacier Media. So a provocative conversation. I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. I'm 
going to start off, and the first question, well, I'll pass to you first, Aaron, and then we'll kind of work it through everybody. But I want to talk a little bit about the benefits of working in the mining industry from your standpoint. You know, what are they and, and which ones have meant the most to you? Let's try to make this personal if we can. So for me, I mean, um, for those that don't know, I'm a pretty ardent environmentalist, which some people may not think jives with working in the mining industry. But to me, that's why I'm here. So I view working in mining as an opportunity to make a really big difference in the world. We have so many challenges um, right now in mining, but in the world generally. I mean, how do we extract critical metals more efficiently? How do we use less water and energy? How do we create less impact on the environment? And in my own career, at least I think, I've been able to make a big difference both on site in operations and more broadly through the development of new technology. So I think right now, at the point that we are at in time, that the opportunity to make a difference is only getting larger as we move towards decarbonization and electrification, of course. I mean, how are we going to extract all the copper, all the nickel, all the other critical materials that are required and to do it in a sustainable fashion? You know, I don't think we have all the answers right now. And so that's an exciting problem to work on. For me, every day is a new day. I get up excited to work on it. I've also really personally enjoyed getting to work with people from all walks of life. So we talk about interacting with Indigenous communities. I've had the privilege of working in and living in Indigenous communities and, and learning about other ways of, you know, other perspectives of looking at the world. Um, I've got to visit places that I would never otherwise have got to visit to explore the tundra and um, it's just been such a privilege. Siri, what about from your perspective, given your time in the industry, what would you advance? I think to, to, to a segue from, from Aaron is that there's nothing like the, the mining industry that, that ripples through everything we do and that challenges and drags us into um, wanting to build new creative different things. So very much like Aaron and Rob, love mining. I mean, I come from an oil and gas background. So right now, probably one of the most hated industries. And yet understanding the difference that um, not hydrocarbons, but, but, but the minerals make um, is just incredible. And I was trying to think of something funky. And so I thought, well, if I asked if mining was cool, and I did, by the way, so the, the Siri on your iPhone, she answered Minecraft. It's funny, but not because when you look at Minecraft and you look at where you start and how you build, mining is part of that. But it, it is part of, a, of an ecosystem. It is not the only part, but it is a part that contributes to building. So maybe not cities, but it, it, it helps you when you work through the full value chain from, you know, from the pits to the product or from the concept all the way to the consumer, think of all the different stages where ore is part of that process and that we've learned how to do things more funky, better, from using drones to using blockchain. Erin, one of your PhD students just got an incredible paper completed. I had to look up on Google what it was. You talk about every single aspect of mining that's pushing the envelope. How can it be safer? Um, so, you know, you have electric vehicles, but it's not just that they're safer or underground electric. It's that you can manage them sitting in Toronto, Vancouver, wherever, 
but you're still working in in a in either an underground or an open. There, there's nothing else like it in the world. I defy or dare anybody to find any other industry that has literally been cool like that, that has not stood still, that has not tolerated just being complacent and has really sought to find solutions in difficult circumstances. So through COVID, when it's had a bad reputation and it's had, it's done things bad, wrong, but has also sought to make differences. So look at, at how we manage tailings, you know, and, and Rob is just going, I can talk, I can talk. So that for me, <laughs> mining is just, it's funky. If you think Tesla's funky or SpaceX is funky, try doing a building a Tesla or SpaceX without any of the minerals or the metals. So I love that notion of touching everything. And I think we'll come back to that as we, we go through a couple of the other pieces we want to get through as well. Um, Rob, over to you. What you know? What are the benefits? What meant, has meant the most to you over your career? I started in the investment industry and focused on gold, gold shares. And during the course of my time in the investment industry, I met a number of prospectors, promoters, and they demonstrated to me that there's a lot more to be found in the earth. Mother Nature is very bountiful, and we've just scratched the surface. And so. I looked at one fellow I got to know quite well. Um, I watched him make a fortune, then lose it, make another fortune, lose it, made a third fortune, and he kept it. And I um, decided to jump out of the investment industry into the mining industry and see if I could get into the jet stream that he was in. And uh, Mother Nature was very kind to me. I see an industry that has been forgotten by most of modern society forgotten its importance and it what it provides modern civilization but it also means there's enormous opportunity there because the competition is not great if you graduate from school and you're going well i want to be an investment banker i want to be a crypto miner there's a lot of people jumping into that field there's not a lot of people jumping into mining and i think if you want to shape the future decarbonize the world mining industry is a great place to start. Thanks, Robin. It's funny, I was, I had a moment when I was up, you guys heard me up on the roof yesterday, where I was thankful to the oil and gas industry, because, you know, it was a fancy name on the product, but it, basically I was smearing bitumen all over the roof in the hopes that it would keep the water out. So I was very thankful to the bottom of a barrel of crude oil for helping me out yesterday. Next, let's kind of shift directions a little bit. You know, one of the things we talked about is how working for a mining company is getting more similar to working for other organizations. You know, Siri mentioned the notion of you can be in Toronto or Vancouver managing some of these fleets and, and there's capabilities we didn't have 10 years ago as remote work and automation is becoming more prevalent. But there's still a difference in working for a mining company. How do we set expectations appropriately with new entrants as to what does this actually look like today? How do we paint that picture? And Rob, I'm going to call on you first on this one. Well, the mining industry has lagged behind in many ways. And I'd say you have to make mining appear more like a number of other industries. Maybe we could aspire to look like a high-tech business and we're clean and we're efficient, brightly lit. But it also, we're going through this massive change We've been around for a very long time, the mining industry. And so there's a great deal of inertia. I guess if you're a disruptive individual, you might have fun in the mining industry. 
meet with some frustrations, but here is where you're going to make giant changes. And whether your background is computer science or it's environmental or it's metallurgy, I think we have to look broadly across all the industries and look for technologies that can apply to our industry. You know, whether it's bio-leaching or uh, microwaving, I remember trying to, we experimented with that in New Brunswick on a uh, limestone property we had. And thermal fragmentation, but there's all sorts of science that can be brought to the industry, all sorts of math that can be brought to the industry, all sorts of passion. And that's where I, I see the changes coming. Aaron, what about you looking at this both as a, a practitioner, but also as an academic? How do you set expectations? How do you manage that with, with your students and with folks that you're mentoring? Well, I'm also going to kind of answer this <laughs> like Rob a little bit and, yeah. and sort of take it a little bit sideways. I think, you know, for me, I'm not sure it's about setting expectations, but about creating a diverse array of work opportunities to attract this diverse talent pool, right? We talk a lot about innovation and we need diversity to really drive innovation and to attract an innovative base of really smart people. We need to have a variety of ways to offer work. So there's still going to be, you know, we're always going to need people on site, I think, you know, at least to, to monitor the drones and whatnot's going on. And, but I think we're still going to need people that there are people that want to do that. I have really good friends. My husband, for example, went into mining so that he could be on site and be out in the field. There's always going to be people that want to do that, but there's also going to be people that, you know, fundamentally can't be part of the mining industry. Maybe they have some mobility challenges. Maybe they are, you know, a mother of five young children and they can't be on a remote mine site all the time. I think we need to offer opportunities to people that, that are varied so we can attract this variety of people. And to Rob's point, whether it's you know, robotics or biology or you know, lawyers, investors, mechanical engineers, artists, we need to attract a variety of different people. And I think today we've shown through COVID that we can work in a remote, we can work in person, we can work hybrid. And I think it's actually up to the industry to step up and make sure that we're offering these types of opportunities and making people aware that these types of opportunities exist so that we can pull in this diverse talent pool to get where we, we need to go today. No, I, I think that, that notion of diverse range of, of accepting not only where people are at, but what we can offer is really a neat, neat concept. Siri, what about from your standpoint? So I think um, I'm going to challenge Rob a bit on this and where I disagree with him is that we've been complacent or we haven't I think what we really need to do is kick our industry in the butt and change our messaging. And, you know, people are asking on the chats, and I agree, you know, what do you do with the young kids who've got degrees and entering into the market? And I'll give you a better story than that. Last, or two New Year's Eves ago, I was with my nephew in California. My family, part of my family lives in, the, in Santa Monica, and he's a mining engineer. Anyway, people are talking and we're chatting and they ask him what he does. And he said, oh, I'm an engineer. So everybody thought that was great. And what do you do? And he wouldn't tell anybody, so this is a 28-year-old kid, that he was in mining. So I brought it up, and I got kicked in the, in the, in the ankle, uh, or the ankle, and I said, so anyway, he said, oh, anti-serum, but he wasn't proud. And I afterwards, I said, why aren't you proud? He said, well, nobody likes us. But we don't tell people what we do. People see either the vision of the old white guy with the beard, the donkey in the pick. Sorry, guys. 
or they'll see the artisanal miners, or they'll see the violence, or they'll see the cyanide, but they don't sell the great things, and they don't because we don't talk about it. So we're all here around our screens talking to all of us who have drunk the Kool-Aid. We know we're good. We know we're, we do good things. This conversation needs to zoom out. It needs to talk through. And why are we doing mining engineering degrees and not including environment degrees or biochemical engine? And we teach, whether it's mining or law or finance today, the same way, at least when I went to law school, which was way too long ago. We've got iPhones or smartphones. We've got, we're talking to each other on a, a screen this thick, but we're still teaching science and other fields the same way we did 30 years ago. And there's so much more we can bring together, multidisciplines, multifunctions. And so that the kids can get excited and understand that when they're playing a game on, on whatever screen they're using, there wasn't any mining, they wouldn't be playing anything. So it is up to us. And I, I challenge all of you around this screen and whoever's participating to, you know, look at Erin, look at what she's teaching, look what she's putting out there, look at what Rob is achieving. Those are the good stories. We know the bad stories and we have to work with the media. We have to get it out there. So the Northern Miner, but not just the mining industry, the whole world, because there won't be coming out of COP26, low carbon footprints without any of us doing our jobs. Let us be clear, there won't. You cannot have renewable energy without all of the yums and gold and nickel and cobalt and whatever. So it's on us guys to tell the story and to be positive about what we can bring to the next 50 generations. I'm actually gonna borrow that as a segue, Siri, and, and, and skip to the, the fourth question that we talked a little bit about before, which is, you know, mining is a critical component of the supply chain of tomorrow. We produce the building blocks for a low carbon existence, whether it's smart grids, electric vehicles, wind turbines, they all include a phenomenal number of minerals and very specialty ones in some cases. Um, so I think Siri started us down this path of how do we shift public perception to really look at these and recognize these? Um, and Rob, I'm going to pick on you first. How do you, how do you shift that view to really look forward, not backwards? I think we need the public to start doing math. How many EVs, wind turbines, solar cells, and other sources of renewable energy does the world need to reduce the greenhouse gases and the world temperature by one and a half degrees. And then you have to calculate how much metal is going to be used to achieve that end. And I believe with the growing population of the world, the demand is going to far exceed supply. But we have to create that link that we're not going to get there without a lot of metal and a lot of thought. I just saw something about our own government uh, saying that the promises they've made in response to COVID, that we are not going to have a balanced budget before 2070, almost 50 years from now. Well, no one in Ottawa's or any of the provincial capitals is doing any of the math. And we're not talking about the role of population in the warming of the earth. We were what, 1.8 billion people at the beginning of the 1900s. Now we're uh, pushing 8 billion and they're talking over 10. So 
Urbanization is going to continue. We're still going to be using mines. We just have to learn to do the mines in a way that people are more comfortable with. There's a public perception. And I think Siri mentioned it as well, that the shows on TV about mining are just the guys up in Alaska ripping apart the sides of hills and that uh, just reinforces the image of the person with a donkey and a pickaxe or uh, some right. of the sites in the middle of the Amazon. But math to me, we lack the science and the public, you have to be able to make it in really short statements. Erin, what do you think about this one? What, what angle would you take on it? I mean, my thoughts are very similar. I think we're always preaching to the choir, right? We're here at the Northern Miner and we're talking to miners about how great yeah, mining yeah. is. <laughs> and, uh, right? And I mean, I was asked this morning, you mentioned I have this hydrogen company, Aurora Hydrogen. We're making hydrogen from natural gas with no CO2 emissions, right? In my mind, I'm an environmentalist. This is a great story. This is a fantastic way to do this. And somebody who owns a renewable energy company asked me, well, have you got any pushback from any of the environmental NGOs? Because you're still using a fossil fuel. And, and yeah, we are. But, you know, we use 80% less electricity than to make hydrogen from water. And so, you know, it's to your point, Rob, math. <laughs> and I think we need to get out there and talk about the math and, and have those hard conversations, whether it's with the environmental NGOs. And you know what? They might not always be the most pleasant conversations. They're not going to be the most comfortable conversations, but we need to start having them in, in a respectful dialogue and just keep talking about it. Get out into the, the public media. Um, let's write opinion stories. Let's get on the news. Let's through PDAC. Why don't we have our own show that, you know, lets people know what we're actually doing in mining and what are all the cool things? I don't, I think we need to stop talking amongst ourselves, stop waiting for people to come to us. We need to get out there and get, try to get our message across because we are cool. <laughs> we're, you know, we're making a big difference in the world, particularly around CO2 emissions and what are we going to do for electrification? But it's up to us to get out and talk to everybody outside the industry to get them excited about it in the way that we are. And Siri, you, you broached this topic on the last question. Is there anything you want to circle back to or, or anything you want to add on this one? These conversations need to be diverse, diverse of, of everything, background, knowledge, experience. I would talk to you about the value chain, how mining picks up, you know, everything all the way. So right now you've got issues with logistics. You've got a port of Vancouver that's stuck. You probably know something about that. How do we fix? logistics problems so that at the end of the day, things flow. It's not just mining. We all have the same problems. I have a few examples, but one of them is, is for example, how, in the supply chain, how do you source and track different ore from, from all the countries that are in emerging economies that some people call dangerous or wrong, and, and there are many of those, but there are ways today that with electronic blockchain tags, you can actually follow the ore all the way through the logistics to safe havens and for safe use. So I can think of a million stories, but we don't tell them. And there is one I want to tell because I think it's important and how the media takes only the bad and not the good. Very recently, Valet and Sudbury had a challenge. Their, their elevator cage got stuck, an accident, it, it happens. 35 people were stuck underground. And of course we heard all about it and 35, anyway. They all came out, they were all very safe. 
the media interviewed many of the people who were caught and the guys were like, and the girls were like, yeah, no, it was excellent. It was well done. We were safe. We were protected. There was food, air, oxygen all the way up. It was really well, you know, taken care of. The media covered the part about the 35 people stuck and how, again, horrible. They never talked about how good a job Valley did in making sure that every single person came out. Why do I have to tell this story? Mm. Why are we not saying that we do look after our people, we do things right, so that when we don't talk, people say, we don't, you're, you're horrible. We're not. We're no better, no, no worse than any of the, 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 the manufacturing companies, auto assembly that have challenges that are similar. So I don't mind to be picked on, fair is fair, but I'll also fight back and I'll be very proud and very passionate about how our industry makes a difference. And this is a great opportunity, but I'm also excited to tell you, for example, I'm going to Morocco and to Chile to have these same conversations and in non-mining forums, the great solutions to our future. And that's where the message needs to be heard. And, and I think, you know, actually one of the questions that came in over the Q&A kind of ties right into where we wanted to wrap for the end of the day and the kind of the challenge that I, I gave all of you to think about, which is, and the question was, you know, what can we do to change the perception, the reputation among the generation entering the talent pool? So how do we get that new talent in? And I think, you know, we've touched on that, but how do we boil that down into what's the elevator pitch? You know, you got 20 floors, you're going up a, a midtown office tower. What's your pitch for why mining is cool? Why we want to be in the industry? Um, Aaron, you want to, you want to take this one first? I'm going to sound like a broken record because I'm going to say exactly what I said before. And it's very short. If you want the opportunity to make a fundamentally positive impact on every life on this planet, human or not work in mining, it's, it's that cool. It is about having that impact. And, you know, you're kind of drawing on that theme of, of having a purpose behind what you do. And I think that's important to all of us. What is it that wakes you up? It's not the 8 a.m. conference call that wakes you up. It's that sense of purpose about what you're, you're trying to achieve with that. Um, Rob, what about from you? Well, in the elevator, I'd ask them, are you evaluating your options? If you're looking for a sexy career where you can travel the world, you can earn top dollars, produce materials that will help create a greener world, greener future. And if you're ambitious, you can run the whole show in your mid thirties. Then the choice <laughs> is easy. It's mining. That's a very good pitch. And I think a lot of people would love to hear that run the whole show in your mid thirties. Yeah. We have a, a demographic factor that's coming into play that there's a large segment of the uh, mining industry is retiring, entering retirement age over the next 10 years. There's going to be a big shortage. Of, and so people will be pulled up through the ranks very quickly if they have talent. Yeah, that, that opportunity to advance. And Siri, what's, what's your, your 20 floors worth of, of pitch? So I'll, I'll do a cute one and then a more serious one. Without <laughs> mining, I wouldn't be in an elevator. I'd be walking up the 20 floors of stairs. <laughs> so that would be the cute one. So to, to Rob's comment of running the world in your 30s, I'm going to say if you really want to make a difference in your life and everybody's life, there's no career like being part of an industry that sources the minerals and the materials that you need to make that difference. 
That's great. Well, thank you. And I think that's a really nice positive note to finish on. And, uh, you know, I think it really gives a, a sense of this is an aspirational place to be. You know, if you have the technical skills and the aptitude and the sense of adventure and, and a desire to really be connected to a purpose, this is one of the best places to be and to, to advance in your career at a pace that you might not be able to in, in other places. there you have it. Run the whole show in your mid-30s. That is pretty appealing, isn't it? You know, it, it reminds me, it just looks like a neglected junior mining stock. This whole industry is turning, it looks like this is just a diamond in the rough. So yeah, but uh, all themes we've heard before, that there's going to be a shortage of talent in this industry. So, if, you know, if you have a natural affinity for geology and you're already studying this stuff, you have a ton of opportunity ahead of you. And like Rob McEwen was saying, if you're ambitious, you can run these companies by your mid-30s. Wow. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope you're enjoying your holidays as well. I wish you the best from the Northern Miner Podcast and I thank you for listening this year. Thank you for all your support. We have a lot of exciting shows to come. If you want to help out the podcast, leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. And until next week, take care.